So I was going to just basically start with a little bit of my art story, and I'd like to hear about your art stories, too, because <laughs> um, we sort of all have an, have an art story. So why don't you guys tell me about why you're here? Like, what's your art story? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm a Joshua student. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, um... Yeah, we were, well, art story, what do you mean by that? Like, like what, why, why did you come to this? Like, why would you want to, what is, what do you like about art? Um, I like how I can capture moments. Okay. Um, and how I can capture um, glimpses of who God is. Okay. Um, just in, and like the talent behind it, and um, just different people's perceptions on different things. I feel like it can convey a lot about um, a person. And um, I don't know, just how life has affected them. I don't know. I think it's yes. so. It's, it's like handwriting. Like it's so. Even though you can make it look just like a picture, or you can, you know, it's everyone's is a little bit different. And I like that. I think it's neat too. Um, I think art is so individualistic, but also brings so many people together and like can capture so many beautiful things. Yeah. Good. What about what about you? Yeah. Uh, my name is Anya. Oh, I'm passing. Yeah. Say that, Anya. 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 Yes. Okay. Um, for me, art is very special. Um, I grew up doing art. Mm -hmm. The majority of my family grew up doing art. I think art is, um, it expresses, uh, we as human beings, I think we can express something, what we feel through art. And I think that God gave us a unique gift through mm -hmm. that. And that, um, it's like, you know, certain things like God didn't have to give us, but he did. Mm -hmm. And art was one of those. And I'm really thankful. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I heard a little bit about yours, but tell me more. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't really grow up artistic at all. <laughs> but then in high school, I guess that's kind of still growing up, but in high <laughs> yeah. school, um, I started doing hand lettering and calligraphy. Mm -hmm. um, and that led to doing watercolor. And then in college, I started oil painting. Um, and my, a lot of my work focuses on flowers, but also memory. Mm -hmm. um, and I think art has been very influential in my understanding and processing through my memories and the memories of my family and family history and um, yeah it's a really sweet way to get to capture moments in time and then uh, get to share them with people and hopefully capture their memories too so mm -hmm. yeah good yeah um, I actually told if you were in the when we presented but when I, I don't think you guys were working. No. So when I was in kindergarten, we had to all say what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said I wanted to be an artist. And, um, and then I never took an art class <laughs> all the way through until my junior year of college. And, um, but after that kindergarten year, part of the, the art story for me is um, I was a little bit of a sensitive kid. And... Um, like I remember, uh, I, I liked being at home, I liked my mom, and I was kind of like one of those kids that wanted to be at home with my parents. And um, when that year in kindergarten, uh, at the end of kindergarten year, my parents got divorced. And so my concept of home was gone in an instant. And home, home for me was the people, and the people no longer were. And so I took a turn, and I actually don't even remember um, from kindergarten to uh, third grade. I don't remember anything that happened other than I 
failed in school every year. And um, I got to third grade, and I, my mom, you know, she was like, Michael, you have to do better. Um, you, you can't keep getting bad grades. And she said, um, what is something that you would love? And I was like, I'd really like guest acid wash jeans with the zippers on the sides, which in the 80s were like the epitome so. of awesomeness. <laughs> um, so she said that she would get those for me if I raised my grades. But the problem was, is I'm, I'm not really motivated externally. So I was like, those would be cool, but I don't really care. And the problem was, is I couldn't learn because I had all these emotions going on. And so I ended up cheating on a, a test and my teacher caught me because I thought if I can't do it the real way, then I'm gonna manufacture it. So I cheated on a test and I got caught. And uh, fortunately I had an amazing teacher, um, which is part of the reason that I love teaching now. Um, I'm, a, I'm a middle school art and Bible teacher. And the reason uh, is because he saw me and he saw that I was struggling and he came alongside of me and he said, uh, Michael, I'm going to have you. He, he basically showed me that I could think. And he gave me the challenge of memorizing the word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious because I cheated on a spelling test and he wanted to show me that I could memorize a word. And I liked the curiosity in that. That sparked something in me. So I memorized that word and it opened a little something and he was able to notice that I had a knack for language and I liked poetry. And so he encouraged me to, to start writing poetry. And so from the time I was eight, I started writing poetry. And sometimes it was about butterflies and flowers. And sometimes it was about how much my heart ached. And it, it became um, my art form for a long time. And it, my hidden art form, I, I performed a spoken word, which I, I don't do normally. That's, and people are asking me, where, where is it? Where do you have that? Where can I get it? And I'm like, you can't because it's, it's in my journal. <laughs> That's where it is. Um, so poetry was always my form of art and words and language. Um, and then I came up to Hume uh, when I was 19. Uh, my brother, who is up here at the retreat with me, uh, came up and on a whim, I came up to be with him. And, you know, a long story short, um, I met my husband and I, we lived up at Hume and worked for Hume for almost 19 years um, in everywhere, all over. My husband ran wagon train and the outdoor education program, and I worked in day camp and food service. And I worked everywhere, and I worked in just about every department here, except for maintenance, because they wouldn't let girls work there. But I would have loved to work maintenance. <laughs> um, and then right around, right after we got married, I decided, I was inspired by Norm Daniels, who is a legend here up at Hume. Um, he's actually one of the presenters. Uh, he's an amazing artist uh, that painted the sets in the Pondy Chapel. And before they weren't built out like these crazy elaborate sets like what they do now. Before it was just a paint, a ginormous painting. And I remember going in and trying to help him and feeling like, I don't know how to help you. Uh, because he would see colors and bring things out that I didn't even know that were there. And I decided, I think I'm going to go back to school and I'm not sure what I'm going to go back for, so I'll maybe take an art class. And so I took a color and design, and um, I loved that. I learned how to mix color, and I realized that from a simple color palette, you can make any color in the world. And then I went on to um, 
uh, take a um, a drawing class, a figure drawing and still life drawing. So I learned how to draw and it was all, all with charcoal and I was used to controlling the pencil and with charcoal you can't control it the way you do a pencil. So it was all, honestly an exercise in letting go and I'm realizing that I could use that loose material and capture somebody's face exactly what it looked like. And it wasn't until my later on that I took finally got to take a painting class. And I brought in my first painting that I did um, to show basically that um, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. And I studied uh, a master Caravaggio, which I brought a stack of books because I always like to in encourage, like, like, what are you reading? This is what I'm reading. So this book right here, Rembrandt in the Wind, if you are an art um, and philosophy lover, this it has different chapters about different artists and there's a chapter about Caravaggio and if you've ever gone to a museum and seen a carb I actually got to stand in the museum in Dublin this summer and see this painting that I did this off of, off of. I was studying a master to see how he painted and and uh, it's he is one of the most incredible artists um, there's one uh, that you may have seen in pictures before where they're reaching into Jesus's wounds. There's another one where they're holding John the Baptist's head. Um, but he was this gnarly character, a murderer um, in and out of prisons, uh, just this wild, wild character, but he was able to create amazing works. Um, and so when I started painting, he is who I chose to paint. And I decided to make my own canvas, which honestly, it's, you can see now, I've made so many mistakes. It's falling. It's like literally falling apart, has no support. I'm shocked that it doesn't have a hole in it. It's been dragged all over the place. You can see where somebody um, spilled turpentine when it was in the, the thing. And um, what I love about art is it's, um, like there's a quote by Michelangelo where he says he carved the stone until the angel looked back at him. And that's kind of the process of art is we have to make terrible art in order to make good art. And in that process, I, in painting this, I remember doing it and not really knowing and it looked like a bunch of shapes and then all of a sudden I saw a face look back at me. And um, that's a really special thing when you're painting and all of a sudden you see the hand pop out or that whatever it is you're doing all of a sudden it, it speaks to you and it looks back at you and in the process of art like I look back at this and I'm like oh my gosh this is terrible but that's that process that we go to in honing our eye um, and today I actually paint very minimally because and I don't mean I'm, I'm a minimalist, I mean I don't paint very often because I have teenagers in my house. I have a senior and a sophomore and I have a 10 year old. I teach art full time, I teach Bible full time, and I'm honestly not making art as much as I did before. But the, the poetry, the beauty, and I know that I will return to painting because it's my passion, but it's not something I can do in small bits. I have to do it all or nothing. So right now I'm just leading others to painting, um, but I wanted to, this whole process of finding painting and finding poetry and writing songs, it brings up that question of what actually is art 
Like, what do you guys think art is? I'm, I'm curious what you, if you were to say art is this, um, I actually did a delve of this because I wanted to find it out and I'm, I'm getting my master's. So I am writing my thesis on visual intelligence and I, it, it was fascinating to do a study of what art is. So what would you guys say is art? If you could boil it down. Anyone? One word, expression. Expression. Anyone else have... Like, there's a scene. Have you guys ever seen the movie Mona Lisa Smile? Okay, there's a fantastic scene in that movie where Julia Roberts is on stage and she has all these students around. And... Um, she had started teaching the class and they knew all the slides and they knew all the material and they knew everything. So she came in to shock them and she put on a picture of a Sudin uh, painting, which was a carcass. And they looked at it and then they had this discussion. Is this art? Is this not art? What makes it art? What, who, who says that something is art? Like who's right? Who's wrong? Who decides? Um, does anybody else have any thoughts about what do you guys think art is? Well, I used to always think that art was just some kind of compulsion. Okay, yeah. And you, yeah, it's so good. When I was doing my research, um, yeah, it's that question. Is, are the signs in Hobby Lobby art? Is, uh, is when Jackson Pollock splatters a painting and it sells for, what I have it written down, $229 million. Is that art? Um, is realism art? Is abstraction art? Is art like is it is art in how the stonemakers built this? Is it in how you make an omelet? Like what actually is art? And for the purpose of my exploration, um, the the term that I have come to the conclusion that art is it's the act of making special. So I call it. When you can move from one thing to the next, how, how, why do we make things special? Every culture throughout time, whether it's a high society culture or a tribal culture living in the bush, they have all engaged in this practice of making special. Oftentimes it's ritualistically, sometimes it's just to adorn for the sake of beauty. But when you have a spoon and all you need to do with that spoon is put the rice in your mouth, why decorate it? Why engrave it? Or why... Why behold it? Why make it special? And um, so with that in mind, what do you guys think the purpose of art is? Darren talked a little bit about this yesterday. And I actually have a different view. I, when, when I heard him speak, I was like, oh, maybe I need to, maybe I need to think more about that. But I had a different approach. Um, he talked about intention. What would you guys say? is what is the reason you make art? We went around and we talked about like our art story, like what, what we do with art, why, why we're here, why art's important to us. I'm curious what you guys think about that. Like where, where does art touch your lives? Do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd go first. Um, I'm not sure. You're you got me thinking too deeply now. Oh, that's in yeah. A way, in a way, I'm still on, back on the question of like, what is really art? 
Yeah. Because uh, you can probably see art in just about anything. Yeah. And is it imagination? And then, you're, then you're talking <laughs> about special, and is everything that I'm thinking of special? But special is relative to the. To I think it's not just special; it's making special. Does that make sense? Yeah, but like, it's special is relative to the person who looks at it that way, yeah. right? So, what you might find special, mm -hmm. I might think, what's the big deal? Yeah. Whereas I might like, I might be really excited about something, and you be like, that's part of the process. Deal, yeah. Part of it is the making, and the other part is the beholding. So everyone has a job to do when they encounter a work of art, and we just went on a nature walk. Um, were you? Was anybody in here on the nature walk? No. We went on a nature walk and we were teaching people to look small, look at things and to pay attention to things we would normally just trample as we walk along and seeing that there is intelligent design in everything. Um, mm -hmm. Because ultimately God is the artist in the, we're going to get into this and I'm going to read from the book of Genesis, the creation account. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that a little bit because I think the reason we create is because he created Mm -hmm. and he created us yeah. in his image, and therefore we create. Yeah, and that's what um, the speaker was saying last night, and I like yeah. I like that perspective. That it's, intention. He used the word intention. Because sometimes um, I wonder, why why do I want to create music? Yeah. So you're a musician. I, 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 I try to okay. mess with music. Yeah. Why do I have this strong desire to do that? Well, that's maybe something about God put that in me. Yeah. Um, what about, what about you? I think um, sometimes it's, uh, it's uh, it can be comforting, it can be, you know, gratifying. Yeah. So I, it was it's interesting. It's oh, interesting go ahead. she said that because I, I was thinking that, but then there's been times where it's been really frustrating, right? Yes. Because you're like trying to get to a certain point and you're like, you can't get there and do I want to keep putting all this effort into it or, or move on to something else? Yeah. We, yeah. So you asked why we do art. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. I write, I have a blog. Um, and it's very like poetic almost. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I write for expression, but also for like processing. Yes. Um, and, mm -hmm. um, I guess, uh, experiencing things in my life. Um, but also looking at them from multiple, like looking at it from multiple, perspectives um, and like processing through those things. Yeah. Uh, Darren last night talked about the intention in art and that it's the thing that we leave behind, um, which for me, I never looked at it as the commodity of leaving something behind. I always approached it as the process for me and my heart and my thoughts. And maybe what I leave behind is that I'm a, a more whole Christ-like person as a result of the work that I've done in my soul, mm -hmm. and I leave that behind for my kids and the people whose lives I touch. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, it is leaving behind, but I'm not leaving the commodity of art behind. I'm leaving um, a little bit of a, a more Christ-like self behind, mm -hmm. and, and hopefully shining that and reflecting God's glory through that. So it, it's interesting that he talked about that, because in my mind, like for me, poetry was always about... Um, processing and thinking deeply about who God is and songwriting like I, I write songs that nobody ever listens to and I've never intended for anyone like my brother's up here and he has not heard most of my songs 
because it's something that I do in order to understand. That's why I entitled this the lie that makes us realize the truth. It's that process that I'm doing. And in that, I discover something about who God is and who I am because of who he is. The word that comes to mind is healing. Yes. We're going to talk about that. (laughs) There's actually um, the next book that I wanted to introduce is this one right here. I'll put this one down because it's always fun to see what people are reading. And this book right here is maybe some of you have heard of it. It's um, a pretty popular book. Have any of you read this book, Art and Faith? Um, This was written by a Japanese artist. Artist, He does a traditional art. Oh, what's the author's name? uh, Mako. Yes. Yes. So he was a World Trade Center survivor. And his whole purpose in art is this, uh, it's based on the idea of God is not just a healing God, but he actually creates newness. And that's like very exciting. Um, And so he does this process uh, that's an ancient Japanese process where people bring, um, in, in Japan, there were pots that would be passed down from generation to generation. And even if they were broken, the people would hold the broken pieces. And it's a picture of how our brokenness is passed down from generation to generation. And so he started this process where you have to bring in the broken pieces. And he said the trouble in our society is when we break things, we just toss it. Um, but in this society, they, they kept it, they, they held it. And so you bring in those broken pieces and actually sit with them and spend some time with the brokenness. And you look at it and you think about it. And you actually have to prepare the broken edges to be mended back together. They can't just be glued right away. They actually have to be uh, prepared in order to be glued. And then that process of bringing it together um, is not the end process. Because in the fissures, they, they actually put real gold into the cracks and reseal it so that it once again becomes usable. But the whole purpose of it is it had value before. But the value that it has after is even greater um, because of the work that you put into it. And he uses that as a purpose of, of bringing healing to brokenness um, in the church. And he, he does workshops. And um, this he, he has a way of speaking that is um, just beautiful. I wrote down a few of his quotes. Like he says... Um, Sanctified imagination allows us to see, hear, taste, touch, feel God in tangible ways. So in a world where imagination is uh, frivolous and trite and art, I mean, even art in the schools, I I teach art in the schools and it's something that is stuck in in between when you have extra time or you want to do an extra project. And what he's trying to say is that art Um, we, we, the artist can teach the preacher how to see the world and art can be the, the catalyst for bringing people into the church. Um, there is a, have you guys read Lord of the Rings? You're currently reading it. Okay. So he brings up this idea of border stalkers. Um, and let me tell you what he means by that. And I've, I've, I've actually thought about this. I call it something else. Um, He calls it border stalkers, but it's the same idea. It's the person of Aragon in, or Aragon, however you say his name. Aragon is the spider in Harry Potter. Aragon. 
I don't know, whatever his name is, Strider, in The Lord of the Rings, um, when he's in the bar during that, that scene um, where I believe Gandalf is looking for him, and the men, obviously, Aragorn is a man, and the men are saying, oh, don't go over there to him, he's dangerous. But we know that he really is the true king. And in order for him to speak or to make change, he actually had a relationship with the people that were considered the outsiders. So he had a relationship with the elves and he actually spoke their language. And he knew the hobbits and he knew all these people. And he could be a go-between between over here and over there. And I think the way that we bring art into the church is to find those people that can be the go-betweens, those people that can speak the language of those outsiders. And for us, I mean, if we're sitting around a church in a holy huddle, we're not ministering to, we're not doing what Christ has called us to do. We actually have to go out to those people that we are afraid of or that we consider the other, and we have to figure out how to speak to them to bring them in. Um, and so we need those people, those border stalkers, and oftentimes those people are artists because they have a curiosity and an imagination about the way, not just putting the spoon to the mouth, but actually adorning it or making a song that reaches the very human soul or bringing out the words in a poem that make you aware that there is more in this life than just moving from minute to minute that there's actually beauty to behold, and there's actually uh, beauty in people, and um, we need those people to go out and bring, bring them in. Um, it's Another thing he said, uh, he said a, there's a difference between being a doer of the word and a poet of the word, and I like this idea, and he, he talks about making an omelet. He had these farm fresh eggs that he had gotten and he watched a tutorial online to see how to make the perfect omelet and um, got the eggs out, cracked them, and he tried to do, and the person on the screen made it look so easy and his turned into a big mess because there were elements that he didn't understand. It was a master omelet maker and he hadn't gone through the process of learning the hard things. He And what a poet does is a poet not only understands the word, but they understand it to a depth that they can bring poetry to it. Um, uh, let's see, what else is, is it on there? Oh, imagination, exiled pragmatism, uh, informational path. We live in an informational world, um, and to bring poetry is almost like people, I know in my classrooms, my students, they just, they don't, they want to know the answer. What's the right answer? Um, and when I try to get them to think deeply and think abstractly, they just, they have a hard time doing it because they have been taught the informational route, not the route of beauty and the route of poetry and the route of making meaning and, and making things special. But the person who did this the best, better than Strider in The Lord of the Rings, was Jesus. And we have him, the first time that Jesus told somebody verbatim that I am the Christ, was an outsider. It was the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, which culturally speaking, that would be an outsider. He would not associate, first of all, she's a woman. Second of all, she's a woman that has had many husbands. And third of all, she's a Samaritan. And so for Jesus to go and talk to her is scandalous. 
And yet that's the example. He is the border stalker. He goes out of the norm to reach those people. And then she becomes the catalyst. She becomes the person that runs back and tells her people. Um, so we need those people on the fringe. And lots of times those people are artists because they, they speak the language of the soul. Um, the last thing that I wanted to go through with you guys. Um, oh, one more thing with that. Jesus, The Way of Jesus. This is another book I'm reading called The Allure of Gentleness. Um, in a time where our cultures are clashing. Um, I know. In my school, the, I work at a Christian school and the cultures are clashing. And my kids go to a public school and the cultures are clashing. In a time where cultures are clashing, um, this is a really, it's by Dallas Willard. It's a really good read on, um, on basically on Jesus and his method, the alert gentleness. So the last thing that I wanted to read, this one was for my last talk. Let's see, what's this one? Oh, the um, Audubon mushrooms. That was for my last talk of looking into details. And this one is the, this is a real, this is an old book about the modern mission, that question um, of what's the purpose of our mission? Is it to help the poor to not be poor? Or is it to to convert them? Or like this this is a beautiful book in finding, uh, striking a balance. And it's, and it's an old book, so it has, you know, good wisdom in it. Um, okay, so I'm gonna read to you guys the creation account um, because ultimately this is a picture of the creator. And the word used here for in the beginning God created, that word is only used for God alone. He is the one who can bring something out of nothing. We can make a symbol, establish, but in terms of creating from nothing, um, it's for him alone. So this is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word hovering there is the same word for a mother bird who is hovering over her baby. So it's, it's a loving word. It's a nourishing word, a cherishing word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, a first day. You're going to start to notice repetition in this one. We scholars over the years have debated because we have one account and then it almost seems like a different account. But what I want to propose to you is that one is a narrative and the other is, is poetry. So when we have a poem, usually I just took a songwriting. Did you guys go to the songwriting class? Yeah. That you um, repeat there's repetition in it. There's rhythm in it. And you're going to see that in this, this, this first chapter. Okay. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the expanse and separate the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. So that's repeated. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees 
on the land that bare fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with their seeds in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a fourth day and God said let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of sky so God created the great creatures of the sea with every living and moving thing in which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind which I have to say in our walk we saw a bald eagle and it just floated above us the entire time we did our hike, which is pretty magnificent because in all the times I've lived at Hume, it's not an occurrence that happens all the time. And it was incredible. Um, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the lands produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, and this is like the culminating part, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and all of the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female, and he created them. God said to them, increase, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing in creature that moves the ground, along the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant over the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit on it, that it will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So that is the word of our Lord, the account, the poem, the song of creation. And when we when we go out and stand on that edge of the lake and we look to the mountains and we see Wren Peak, which is the peak that comes across the side, and we look to the side and we see Eagle Peaks and we see the obelisk and Spanish Mountain over there on the other side, and we look at it, there's something about it, regardless of whether we know the Lord or don't, that, that calls to us and it asks us to look. It asks us to, to be, it, it's, it's pulling us into it. Sometimes people will walk right by it. 
Um, but most of the time, we stop and we look. Um, and, you know, if you live here for a long time, it still is beautiful uh, in every season because it changes. And it's, it's beautiful in every light because the light gives birth to the shadows. And so it changes, and it's, it's incredible. And what we have here is we have an account where Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, so the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters like a mother dove. So we have this picture of the Holy Spirit. And we have God speaking into the void through the agency of the Word. And the Word, there's another place in the Bible where it says, in the beginning. Do you guys know where that is? Have you? In the beginning. In John. Yeah. John 1.1. I'm going to read it to you real quick. We, We probably have it memorized, but I'm going to read it anyways. There's another in the beginning. If I can get through Luke. My Bible, I teach the book of Luke to my kiddos, and so my Bible always falls open to Luke. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Nothing ha- Without Him nothing was made that has been ha- made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So we have this picture of creation happening in a community of love, the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with the agency of language, which is the word. The word here for the word is ruach, which means uh, the breath of life. It also can be meant the reason for being and For me as an artist, that makes my ears perk up because I think that, you know, again, as artists, we we want to sort of identify what is the reason for existence. We want to call attention to it. And so we have God speaking through the agency of the word, the ruach, into the void and creating life out of that creating everything that we see out of that. Now, the interesting thing about this is, and you guys, Joshua students, you guys are going to, you're going to learn such cool things this year. Oh my goodness. We, uh, my husband and I, he, his job, part of his job when he lived up here was to teach um, life skills. So he taught sewing and all, like, all sorts of things. You're going to learn so many cool things. And one person that's going to come to talk to you has um, Meyer. Has he come and talked to you? I think it's Sam Myers. Okay. He does this talk on the deep. And I want, if you think of it, tell them to record it and send it to Michael Strawbridge because I want to hear it. Because I haven't actually heard all of it. I've only heard pieces of it. We've been anyway. recording our sermons, putting them on the YouTube You channel. have? Yes. yes. Yes! So all the sermons that we've had so far, besides our first week, we've definitely mm-hmm. recorded them. But so we've had Johnny, Armanis, and... Um, the Jonathan Noise. The okay. Noise, and then... Um, okay. Nice. Yeah, that's a good resource, too. If you want to hear good stuff. Good stuff of Joshua. Okay, so we have God speaking into the void. Well, then we know what happens, the fall... And uh, then it gets really bad, really fast, and God sends a flood, and then we find ourselves down to Moses, and then uh, once they're freed, um, they, they see God, you know, they have all these things to 
bolster their faith and um, then they're wandering around in the wilderness and the wilderness is another example of this void. The wilderness is barren. It doesn't have anything there. And once again, God uses the agency of language to speak into the void. So Moses goes up to the mountain, he gets the law and we have the law. And so we have another example of God speaking into the void. They get the law, and two seconds later, they're like melting their earrings to make, you know, uh, idols. Uh, And we know the whole story of them wandering in the desert. And fast forward many, many years later, and we find ourselves uh, with a void in our soul. We have a condition that cannot be filled by anything other than creation. It has to be filled. And so... What God does is he once again speaks into the void and he sends Jesus, the word, the Ruach, the spirit of life. The reason for being comes down to earth as a person and the word dwells among us. And there is a time where he does all this ministry and then all of a sudden it's this culminating moment where he is nailed to this cross and he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the picture of Jesus becoming void himself, becoming the void of our soul in such a way that that community that that God created in, Jesus was, God forsake him. God turned his presence from Jesus in that moment. And I try to use my sanctified imagination to think about what that is means because God created in community and he wanted to extend that community to us. And we, our job is, is basically to be in community with each other. And we have a picture of God coming down and that community is denied from him. And the weight of our sins is placed on him. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit coming into our void and creating new life in us. And I love that picture of God speaking into the void and speaking into the void and becoming the void so that our void can be filled. It's this theme that goes across. Um, and I think that that's the reason that we make art. That's the reason that we, Jesus is the reason for everything. It's the reason for breathing. And I think that what poetry and what beauty and what paintings and, and what songs do, if they're done and they're handled with care, is they remind us that we are loved. They remind us that we have a role. They remind us to, that we have a job. If we have been given the gift of creating art, if we have been given a gift of painting or of teaching or or making great omelets, whatever it is that we use that to extend the community because that's what God's intention was, to his, extend his community of love to us. And when we stand on that precipice of creation and all of creation is, is singing the song to our creator, it's singing, my God made me and he says that I'm good. And we, when I, I went out this morning to watch the sunrise and I saw some ducks and I went up to them and you know what they did? They ran away because they know 
that there's anonymity between me and my creator. There is a lack of restoration. They are singing the song, and the only way that we can sing the song is if we are covered. And we are only covered. I, when Adam and Eve sinned, what's the first thing that they did? They hid. They hid. And then they covered themselves. They killed animals to cover themselves. And the process of art, I think, is us exposing, bringing some bringing some light to, and truth to our human condition. But the process of, sanctific- or, of salvation is us being covered with Jesus so that we can approach God. So until we have the covering of salvation, we go out into nature and we cannot sing the song that our soul knows it's been built to sing. We look at beauty and we are drawn to it. We can't help but look at it and see it and behold it. And it's saying, it's singing the song and we can't sing the song. We can't sing the song of creation because we're at odds with our maker. And until we put on salvation, the covering, the skins, the, the, the gift of the gospel, we won't be able to sing that song. And our job is to go out, use our craft to teach other people to sing the song and to show them basically who Jesus is, to get them to understand that they are loved, that there is hope, that there is grace to change, that our God isn't just a healing God. He's a God who speaks into the void and creates new life from within our very souls. And that's basically all I have for you guys today. So if you have any questions, I'll hang out for a while. And if you guys just want to talk about anything. So... I have a thought. Okay, tell me your thought. So you're talking about God speaks or fills the void. Mm-hmm. Um, can you see things like the arts for people who don't allow God to fill their void? Are they trying to fill their void with the arts? I think so. Yeah. I think that when we can't sing the song of nature, we exploit nature, we fear nature, we use nature. Um, we idolize nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think you're, you're spot on. I think that we're always trying to fill our void because we, we're keenly aware that there is something missing within us. Um, so, so, like, because, I mean, I don't know about all artists, but I, would, I wonder if, like, they keep trying to, I'm going I'm to keep doing art, keep doing art, keep doing art, because they, they get, like, a, maybe an instant gratification of it, but then they got to go do another one or got to go do another one because they're trying to fill that void, but it's not working. Yeah, I think that that's, that's probably true. Um, I think that anything, uh, we have a God-shaped heart and, or like a space in our soul that can only be filled, you know, with the Holy Spirit. And when we try to fill that with anything else, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you allow God to fill it, but you you're doing your art intentionally for Him, there's going to be probably because you're worshiping Him with it, it's probably going to be even more gratifying. Yes, and there's there's a quote I don't remember who said it, but somebody said it's not um, it's not the work or the art that makes us holy; we make it holy. 
So I think in, you know, in that songwriting thing, I had a, I had a thought in there because I've always questioned why um, does it seem like the church is behind when it comes to, you know, using the synth pad or like using melodies or, or what's going on in the music world that art, the church always seems behind. And he made the point that the worship songs are supposed to be simple because they're made for a congregation to sing and not be distracted by what they're supposed to sing. Mm -hmm. And that shifted my perspective a little bit. And um, I've been thinking more about like, how do we as Christians um, become the border stoppers? How do we, how do we bring art? And I don't think that we necessarily have to make it about specifically God. I think we need to have a language that, um, that makes people curious. Um, in our talk recently, we, around the lake, we, we talked, our main verse for that is it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. So that idea that God hides things from us. Jesus did this in his parables. He didn't just come out and say, you're a sinner. He did it in a, in a way that made them think and made them have to have a, have a place in that and a part in that. So I see that our job as artists is to be those people that can speak a language to a person and engage their curiosity enough to want to know more. And maybe, you know, some people will not step foot in a church. Maybe the closest place they'll ever get to church is maybe the parking lot. Or maybe it's working with you at Starbucks. Or maybe it's, you know, wherever it is that you are, that might be, you might be the only Jesus somebody sees. Um, and I think we can do that through our art, but not specifically. I don't think it always has to be about God. I think that we can, that it can be a stepping stone to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when, you, when you were talking about worship, I mean, there's, there's music that you write for people where you're worshiping God, and mm -hmm. it's usually in church. People, people that you're trying to pull in, you're probably not going to share that music yeah. with them, right? I mean, maybe if they're interested. Yeah. But you might want to share something else with them. That will question. I know there's like a lot of U2 stuff. I don't know if you yeah. know a lot of U2 stuff is. There's so many people that have listened to it. Yeah. They, they may not really directly know it's about God, but then when you actually go and look at it, it's like, oh, wow, he's he's taking stuff right out of the Bible right there. Yeah. But yet he's doing it in a way. So I'm not just saying them, but the, there's other bands that there's other genres of bands that will play, but they're playing. Not to not to necessarily take into church to worship, but they're playing just, you know, to be those border people. Yeah. I don't know what you said. Border, border stalker. That's border his stalker. word. Border yeah. stalkers. Border stalker. um, I yeah, just yeah, being, I guess maybe culturally relevant, or I, you can use all different kinds of words. I like the way he uses it because it has that picture of going to the other side, um, like but Jesus. Even, but even like even. Even David and his psalms, right? They're not. Some some are laments. Yeah. They're not. They're not something you would take into church and sing. They're laments. I know we have a whole book of lamentations. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. There's also authors that do that too, where they, mm. it's like, I mean, I think C.S. Lewis, in a sense, did that with. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, his Narnia series. It's very much a parallel, um, but he does that often with his writing. Um, there's a beautiful 
My favorite book that C.S. Lewis writes is a book called Till We Have Faces. Mm -hmm. Have you read that? Yeah. There's one part, well, basically through the whole part of that book, it's, um, it's a retold myth of Greek mythology. And there's a main character that asks, it's, she's crying out to God, and she receives no answer. And then you get further along, and she cries out to God, and she receives no answer. And then in the culminating part, she says, I now know why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. And before your face, questions die away. Whether their answer would suffice, only words, words to be led out to battle against other words. And C.S. Lewis brings about, he doesn't talk about Jesus. He doesn't talk about salvation or sanctification or sin. He talks about all of those things without mentioning them. But what it did for me is it sparked my curiosity uh, and helped me there's somebody in here. And it helped me to want to turn to God's word. And that's ultimately the goal is to turn to the word of God. Um, to see what, what he has in here and to reveal those, like to seek it out. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that was written for exiles, living that were taken well, is that kind of like the book of Ruth? Because the book of Ruth doesn't yeah. ever say God. Or doesn't it doesn't. Talk about it, yeah. but, it, but everything points to that. It like does. It, never, it doesn't talk about God or how God led them or why Ruth was staying. You know, but it, it all kind of, yeah. I think the whole Bible, you know, even the book of David, I'm going through First and Second Samuel in my church right now, and we're on like our, I think, that is my like maybe our 100th wow. week in the book of First and Second Samuel. Wait, who's that? Oh, probably Joshua. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and one thing that we've learned from watching first or reading First and Second Samuel, taking a deep delve, is that don't be like David. That's that's what we we're learning. We're learning that David points to Jesus and the need for Jesus and um, the need for a king that's upside down. Not the king that's the warrior, conquering, musician, beautiful, handsome king. We need the Jesus. We need the king that goes to the Samaritan woman and changes her world for eternity. That's what we need. So, any other thoughts? Good thoughts. I like it. All right. Thanks, guys.